Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The premed year session number 168. Hello and welcome to the Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're stressing out about the medical school interview, go to medschoolinterviewbook.com to sign up to get information on how to crush the medical school interview. The medical school interview is something that you can train for, you can prepare for. It's not a skill that you just have or you don't have. The interview process is something that you can learn. And at medschoolinterviewbook.com, you can sign up to be notified when we release new pieces of the book that we're working on or I'm working on. Or if you're there listening to this at a much later date, the book might already be out, which is awesome. And you can get it then too. Uh, but if you go there now and there's just a sign up page to enter your email address, do that. And we will send you emails, parts of the book as we complete them for feedback. So you can help shape the book as we complete it. Again, medschoolinterviewbook.com. Today's interview is a special one. We're going to talk to Jessica, who has been uh, an Academy member since we first opened up way back at the end of 2013. Uh, Jessica is a non-traditional student, and her path, her success is all about working hard, figuring out what she needed to do, and working hard. And as you will hear at the beginning of the interview, you will hear how successful she has been on her journey. Let's say hi to Jessica. Jessica, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Now, I want to start with where you are currently, and then we'll kind of work backwards to, to figure out how you got to the successful point to where you are now. How many interviews have you been on to this point? 11. How many acceptances do you have <laughs> to this point? 10. 
I'm waiting to hear her back from the 11th. <laughs> it's not like you got rejected from the 11th. You just, you recently interviewed and so you're still waiting yeah. to hear back. Yeah, yeah. Looking back a year, two years, three years, uh-huh. with 10 acceptances on your plate and, and most likely an 11th, do you think that was even possible? No, I thought I was going to be lucky if I get one. In fact, people told me I would be lucky if I got one. So most people are lucky to get one. Yeah, yeah. So I did not. I didn't. I didn't anticipate any of this, to be honest. So I feel very, very lucky. It's it's amazing. Uh, I I know we we've had email conversations about your success, and it's just it's phenomenal. <laughs> so I want to knowing knowing that with with that hook. Um, yeah. let's go back to where this all started and, and figure out, maybe we can reproduce this and bottle it and sell it for others. <laughs> sure. I'll try. Uh, You're a non-traditional student. I am very non-traditional. What was your career previous to being a pre-med? I was an actress. Oh, always an actress. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, I also worked in the restaurant industry as most actresses do before their careers take off. But, um, yeah, I have spent the past several years acting. Is that what you went to school for originally? Yep. I got a BFA from NYU in acting. So my entire undergrad was pretty much drama classes. It wasn't even a BA, it was a BFA. So it was even more specialized. And then I double majored in psychology. So I had a little bit of something else, but I had no core classes to take. It was pretty much drama and psych, and that was it. Was that psychology because you had an interest in science and psychology, or was that because you thought it would help with your acting career? Oh, it was because I loved science. I've always loved science. So, like, in high school and stuff, I was winning, like, women in science awards and taking AP physics and AP calculus and everything, and then... um I got into a really competitive acting school and figured that's where life was sending me and what I should do. Interesting. So... Even in in high school, you were big in science. Was there any thought that crossed your mind about becoming a physician? I definitely think it did. Um, I just didn't really know the path that it would require or really what it entailed. My mom was a nurse, so I was surrounded by, you know, the medical field my entire life, and she would watch surgery things on television and I'd watch it with her. Rescue 911 was my favorite show, which is probably dating me. (laughs) Yes, that was William Shatner. Um, But I don't know if I ever seriously, seriously considered it. Acting kind of became the forefront. Um, I was just doing a lot of plays and everything and that kind of seemed to be my purpose in life, what I was meant to do with my life kind of thing. That's awesome. And so, so you, you're acting, you're in New York, hanging out, having fun. At, at what point did acting no longer become what you thought you were supposed to be doing? Well, I was actually, I moved to Los Angeles after I graduated. I got into a competitive acting program in LA, which brought me out here. So I was out in Los Angeles. And um, I guess the first time it kind of poked into my head, my dad was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. And... Um, I watched, you know, we were all shocked. My dad is one of the healthiest people you will meet. And I watched his gastroenterologist basically fight for my dad's rights as a patient with the surgeon and kind of really made sure that he didn't wind up with a colostomy bag, which have really, which would have like impinged on his lifestyle. And just watching her stand up for him was so inspirational. And I just remember watching all of the physicians going, wow, you know, 
And I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy for a while in the acting thing. I just didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel like I was giving back. Um, I wound up doing a lot more theater only because I felt like those were meatier roles and that was more interesting to me, but I just didn't, I just didn't feel fulfilled. Um, and so that thing with my dad happened, but I thought that ship had sailed. Like at this point in my life, there was no chance of me becoming a doctor. I didn't take any science classes in college and kind of shelved the idea. How old were you at this point? I was, I would say maybe 24. Oh, so old. (laughs) (laughs) Not that old, but you know, like you went, I already went through college, you know, at that point you don't think that, and I know that becoming a doctor is not something easy. So I thought that, you know, there's no chance at this point. Yeah. Um, and then my dad, my grandfather passed away and I was there with him through that, all of that. And that kind of kept putting it in my head. Um, so I wound up going and doing a yoga teacher training, which is not becoming a doctor, but I figured it might be some way to kind of help people live healthier lives and inspire people. Um, and while I was doing that, I started volunteering at this program called Hollywood arts, which was for, um, young adults just out of the foster care program, um, or homeless or, you know, all sorts of different types of children or young adults. And, um, that's, so, I think, when I really decided that I wanted to do something more. Yeah, so you're you're going through these different avenues of trying to give back. It sounds like with the, the assumption in the back of your head, in the back of your mind, that becoming a physician wasn't an option. So you're just looking for different avenues. Yeah. When When did you finally realize that you actually could become a physician? I was actually researching becoming a psychologist because <laughs> I thought maybe I could use my psych degree and then started researching how to become a psychiatrist and then realized that would involve med school, but that at this point in my life, that was something that was possible. Um, so what, took, what made it possible for you at that point? What um, I was able to go, like, to go back to school, basically, that they would even accept credits, that it was possible to take undergraduate classes without basically going back to school for another full years and getting an entirely new bachelor's because that seemed kind of intense for me. Plus the amount of money that that would require. Um, I didn't realize that there were things like extensions that a lot of universities have where you can take college level courses in and not be enrolled. Okay. So interesting. So, so during your research, looking into psychology, and then looking into psychiatry, you realize that there were these different avenues that, that that were available that you didn't know about before. Yeah, and I also, I mean, there was a legitimate fear that I was too old, that I wouldn't even get into medical school. Um, and then I started reading success stories, and I found your podcast and realized that there is no such thing as being too old. Or, you know. <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> too old in my 20s, I know. but you know. <laughs> At 24, over the hill, sorry. I know. That's that's awesome. All right, so so it's like okay, this this kind of aha moment, like wow, I I can do this. Well, I wasn't entirely sure. I actually signed up for classes to make sure my brain could actually handle <laughs> science and math again. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even tell people I was going back to school. I was like, this is going to be my big secret, and let's just make sure this isn't an epic failure before it all happens. How so. did you de- How did you choose where to take your classes? Um, UCLA extension actually does nights and weekends, which I thought would be probably the easiest because I did need to continue to support myself and work full time. Um, and they also have kind of a do it yourself postback program where you sign up for classes based on your own schedule. 
Um, they don't require you to take a certain number. You could do one class at a time. I always pretty much took as many as I could, but it just seemed like the best fit. Okay. So it seemed to, to work well. Did yeah. you know at the time that you signed up for these classes that, that UCLA also offered this kind of pre-med extension part as well? I did. So that's um, one of the reasons why I told them told, why I chose them, but they're, um, it's still a, a do it yourself thing. So even the pre-med aspect of it, the certificate program, we, you don't have access to an advisor. You basically just sign up for classes and they give you a piece of paper, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that's, and I, I guess I wasn't sure if it really, we get free transcripts, we get access to certain things as a student or as an alumni, because we get the certificate, but, um, we didn't have, resources that I think a typical post-bac program would have if it was more structured. Interesting. We, we heard the same story last week on the podcast with, mm-hmm. with Danny, uh, that similar story. Did you ever try to reach out to the pre-med office there thinking that maybe because you're a student, you could access them or were you kind of told from the get-go that you, you shouldn't? I did a little research and found out that I, w- I did not have access to it. And then I tried contacting the pre-med office at my undergraduate institution, and I didn't have access to that either because I didn't take any science classes there. So they couldn't really <laughs> advocate for me, which I think is fair. You know, they can't really advocate for me as a student if they've never seen my capabilities as a student at NYU. So, so you're like you're like Tom Hanks in the movie Terminal, where he doesn't really have a country <laughs> that he belongs to. <laughs> So I was just, I was winging it. <laughs> I was doing a lot of, I did a lot of research. I read a lot of books. I listened to your podcast every week. I kind of, you know, I was very serious about it. I was very serious from the get go about making sure that I was doing what I needed to do by the time I needed to do it. Okay. At, at this point, how did you figure out the timeline of, of when you were going to apply to school to kind of work backwards and figure out everything that you needed to do? Well, initially I thought I was going to apply a year earlier and just finish up the rest of my prerequisites in that last year, which could have been possible, but I would have only had a certain number of credit hours. I wouldn't have had enough to really take the MCAT. I mean, as I started to go along, I realized that it was going to take me an extra year. Um, So now I sort of have a semi-gap year that I'm in right now where I'm not really doing much. But um, I basically just mapped out from the get-go all of the classes that I thought I needed to take. I looked at most schools' websites and the um, the AAMC website. What is it, the MSAR? Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at that um, and basically just mapped out all the classes, mapped out when they were offered, the days they were offered to try and basically set up my schedule so that I could complete it by this year, technically. Okay, very cool. Now, let's talk stats for a minute if you're comfortable doing that. Obviously, sure. getting 11 interview invites. What what sort of stats did you have to get that? Well, correction, I got more than 11 interview oh, invites. Sorry. I got turning some down. <laughs> I just, I'm too busy. I, I'm going to have to decline. I'm sorry. It's too expensive. I've only had one that I could literally drive to. So it's gotten way more expensive than I anticipated. But, yes. you know, it's a small investment compared to you know, your future. So, um, stats wise. So GPA, MCAT, all of that. Yeah. Um, my MCAT, I got a 31 on, um, which I was actually, you know, a little disappointed. I think I talked to you about that, but, um, compared to, 
compared to the 520 that kids are getting these days i mean (laughs) seriously my mere 30s but um yeah i got a 31 on the mcat um my science gpa is a 4.0 and then um my undergrad gpa was a 3.74 i want to say around there 76 3.76 okay so stellar grades stellar mcat you did well Thanks. Worked really hard. <laughs> and, and I think that's what it comes down to is the fact yeah. that you worked hard. And that's not to say that like I didn't have, um, you know, I remember one exam I didn't do very well on, but I worked really hard for the final and was able to still get an A in the class. So I don't want people to think that, you know, it's smooth sailing because it's not. We all have our moments. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that you're a non-traditional student and mm-hmm. and uh, I know this about you. You're married. I am. And picking schools based on family obligations, your husband's obligations. I, I know a lot of non-traditional students have this issue of of kind of picking schools maybe that they need to stay locally so their family's around to help with kids, their husband or wife, uh, that's where they work and they can't work anywhere else. How how did that impact you and where you chose the schools? Basically, I looked at geographic regions, applied to every school in that area, and then I did a couple of sprinklings that were in kind of random areas that I knew were more safety schools. So I know that that's kind of a weird thing to use your reach school, your target school, your safety schools, but I did want to make sure that I got in somewhere. And so schools that were kind of outside of the regions that I was anticipating that I was hoping I would get into. Um, I just made sure that either they were within driving distance from family or there was something there that would satisfy my husband. But, um, he was looking for more metropolitan areas, which are a little bit more difficult to get into. So Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, um, DC, I think I applied to two schools in DC. Um, and I thought about Boston, but we wound up not doing Boston and Kansas city. Cause that's where he's from. So, okay. Random yeah. Kansas City in there. Yep. But I figured at least he'd have family there. So, I mean, it was, I know that, you know, med school is going to be really trying on our marriage. Um, and I want to make sure that I set us up for as much success as possible by making him happy where we wind up to. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, that's very nice of you. Yeah, How- and I mean, he had full veto rights the entire time. I told him he is full. And when it came down to even like acceptances, we sat down together and all decisions were made together. That's great. How many schools did you end up applying to? 35. Okay. And all MD or DOMD? I did MD and DO. Okay. You didn't really care either way? No. um, I mean, I really like the DO philosophy, but I think MD is kind of going that route as well. Um, So I just really, now that I'm making decisions, I'm looking more at the school itself and the school's philosophy and not specifically whether it's MD or DO. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about your timing with your primary application and your (laughs) secondary application, because I know that was a big stress in your life. And it's not something that, that we really have talked a ton about on the podcast is Uh is how stressful secondaries can be. Yes. Yes. They can be very stressful. (laughs) Talk about that. It's like, I, I think you went into this with the normal mindset of, okay, my primaries are done. Huh? That was, that was the hard part. Now, now it's time to sit back and relax. I also didn't expect getting all of your secondaries all at once. (laughs) Um, 
I thought, I mean, and they did space out a little bit, but most of them came in right around July 15th or 14th, which was about two weeks before I got married. So I had my wedding vendors calling me and all of my applications. And I basically told everybody wedding is on pause until three days before the wedding and I'll go back into wedding mode. Um, and I was trying to crank out at least one secondary per day, um, in mid July. So it was insane. It was very crazy, and I wish I had taken everybody's advice and pre-written some essays beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, after submitting my primary, I was still in the midst of finishing up biochemistry, which was a really tough class for me, um, and that didn't finish until the end of June, and I wanted to give myself a week to breathe. And then I felt like immediately secondary started. So word to the wise, <laughs> prepare in advance. I think my advice to you during this time was don't get married then. Yes. But for some reason I thought about, well, it was the only day that was available for my venue, but I was like, oh, it's fine. Cause it's before interview season starts and we can go on our honeymoon before interview season starts. I was so concerned about interviews and I didn't even think about all the secondaries coming in. Yeah. So, I mean, it worked out, you know, obviously, but it was, um, it was crazy. I think I was up till 3am the night before our rehearsal making signs for our wedding or something. (laughs) It was was crazy, but it was, I'll I'll look back on it fondly as that time that life got really intense for a minute. What would you have done differently to help with your secondaries? I probably would have written some in advance. I know that you can find last year's secondaries um, in advance. I had thought about them in advance. So there's like key questions that you frequently find on secondaries. So I at least had a thought process going as to what I would write for most of them. Um, but also just know that mid July to mid August is probably going to be crazy with secondaries. So don't schedule anything. around then. Just know that it's going to be a really heavy time for your applications. Yeah. All right. So you, you submit 35 mm-hmm. applications. You start getting inundated with interview uh, invites you were probably so popular, you probably could have charged the school for the interview advice <laughs> at some point. I wish. No, they, they didn't. The interviews actually didn't all come at once. I got my first interview invite when I was on my honeymoon, which was kind of fun. Um, and then they kind of trickled in. And the schools that I wasn't as interested in were probably the ones that contacted me first, which I guess is how it works. So I wound up spending a lot of money going to those, which later on I probably would have turned down the interview to. But at that point, I, d- I did not feel comfortable saying no to an interview until I had a solid yes in my hands. Yeah. And, th- and that makes sense because there, mm-hmm. they, I know you were talking about safe schools earlier, but there, yeah. there really is no such thing as a safe school. No. And you hear stories all the time about people who think, think they're, you know, a shoe in for a school. And there's a couple of schools that I thought I was a shoe in for and have not heard from. Yeah. So it's really hard to say, and it's hard to really know exactly what they're looking for. Exactly. And it's good practice to yeah. interview as well. Yeah. During the interviews, uh, as a non-traditional student, how did they treat you? Did they like talking about your, your acting career or was it more of a standard? Tell me about your grades, your GPA and stuff. I mean, everybody started with, okay, I have to ask how did this, you know, what was your path? And I think that was probably the biggest aspect of my success through all of this is really having a clear through line of a specific passion that I was passionate about with acting that also ties into medicine so they can kind of see the whole picture and see that it's not something that's just coming right out of the blue. Um, 
for me, it was that I'm fascinated with the human psyche and the human brain. And I think it's, I mean, I'm interested in maybe going into neurology or psychiatry and that's always been the fascination. So acting was the artistic, you know, embodiment of a human psyche. And now I'm going more the scientific route. So, um, that always came up. Um, some did, you know, specifically say, well, your verbal section on your MCAT wasn't as high as the other ones. Would you care to explain? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Okay. I didn't prep as much for that one as I should have. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was typical, but also a lot of them, most of them were very conversational. I mean, I had a few MMIs, which were, you know, you have your tasks and your specific questions and your, you know, dilemmas that you have to talk through. But, um, most of them were really conversational. I didn't find that I had any that were really mean or I did have one interviewer ask me to perform Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have it listed on your application, be prepared to talk about it, do it, whatever. And that's, I guess, something I learned from acting. If it's on your resume, be prepared for them to call you out on it. So yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a good one. You, you always hear the story of if you say that you can speak Spanish, be prepared to speak Spanish in your interview. <laughs> Yeah, well, if you say you were an actress, be prepared to do a monologue. <laughs> so it was the last thing I thought was coming, but it was obviously it worked out fine. So um, I had a good laugh after it. And I think that was it, too, is I think he was trying to rattle me a little bit. And um, I laughed it off and did it. And, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. How much of your prior career, what, obviously you're you were an actress, but for, <laughs> for anybody I, I think it, it would relate. How much of your prior career helped shape who you were during your interviews? I think it definitely helped. I've been in far scarier rooms, and I obviously wouldn't say that to the interviewer, but you know, certain casting calls can be brutal, and when you have to be emotionally raw, it's even more terrifying. Um, at least here, I'm just coming in to have a conversation. And what I would always tell myself, I would tell myself this before auditions. And it's something I told myself before every interview. And even before, you know, basically you prep like crazy beforehand, you prep and prep. And then when you think you're done prepping, you prep some more, you read up on the school, you answer, you Google questions that you could be asked online. You try and think of answers without writing them out and scripting them, but having an idea of what you talk about. Um, and then when you walk in the room, just have fun have a conversation, get to know them. Um, with acting, if you had fun in the room, it usually meant it was a good audition. If you have fun during the interview, I think the interviewer has fun too, and they'll remember you. And it also just, it lightens everything up. I don't know. That's, I think how it helped. And then also, you know, I'm used to kind of throwing myself into stressful situations and having to perform. So I think it's definitely been very helpful. Was there any concern, this just kind of popped into my mind, was there any concern that the interviewer wouldn't take you seriously because they'd be worried you you were acting? Oh, yes. I mean, a little bit of that. um, But I think my biggest thing during the interview was that I was completely honest about everything. So if they started to grill me about my research, you know, I was an intern. I had a very limited role within that lab. I did learn a lot, but I wasn't the one that designed the studies or did the statistical analyses. I didn't, you know, and I was very upfront and very honest about everything. Um, if there was anything that they had assumed that was incorrect, I'd correct them on it. Um, and I think that that was a big thing. I didn't find anybody really question. I think they're always looking to see if you're really honest in the interview, if you're, what you wrote on your application is honest. Mm-hmm. 
if you match the person on your application. So I, the, throughout the entire process, I was extremely, um, honest about everything. And even, I think most interviews, they'd actually ask me, you know, what's your biggest fear? Are you afraid about going into med school? I said, absolutely. I think I'd be insane if I said it didn't scare me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, You obviously did something right to have 10 acceptances at this point. How do you choose where to go to? Um, I mean, part of it was the gut feeling I got in this while I was visiting the school. I think that was a big part of it. Um, being near family only because I'm going to be crazy like I was when I applied and probably start having children while in med school. Um, and I know that I will need support and help with that only because, I mean, I was in my twenties when all of this was happening, but I'm in my thirties now. So life happens. Um, so being near family was a big thing. Um, where my husband wanted to live, where he was comfortable moving to was another big thing. Um, and really just the school, the feeling I got while I was at the school, the students that I talked to while I was there. Okay. That's interesting. So when we first started talking, you were 24 when some of these decisions started. Mm-hmm. What, what took so long to get from that point to, to this point now? Well, I was a yoga teacher for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I started taking classes. So I would say it was what 2009 was when I first thought about it. Didn't think it was possible. And then I finally started taking classes in 2013. Okay. So it took some time for me to even like do the research and figure out. And I also wanted to make sure before I signed up for classes that, that, that they were even classes that med schools would consider, you know, and look at as equivalent. So a lot of planning. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of planning, but also there was a lot of, you know, questioning and making sure that this was truly something I wanted to do. I mean, after I realized that I could handle the science classes, the first thing I did was shadow a physician. Okay. That's good. You know, to make sure that I knew what I was getting into. I was, I didn't want to devote any more time towards a career path that I didn't think was right for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. For the pre-med out there, the non-traditional that's kind of questioning their path right now, like you did, mm-hmm. what do you say to them to, to motivate them to make the leap? I mean, if it's really in your bones, if it's really something you want to do, I mean, I definitely think explore it, volunteer, shadow, make sure you love science because you're going to be spending a lot of time with science for a while. Um, and then just jump in and stay dedicated and stay passionate about it. And, you know, if it's truly something you love, it it hopefully will work out. But part of that is, you know, I turned down a lot of birthday parties for a while so I could study while still working. And, you know, there's sacrifices that have to be made. So ultimately, are you willing to sacrifice for this? And how much are you willing to sacrifice? And what are you willing to sacrifice? And if the answer is that you don't want to sacrifice certain things, then maybe this is not the correct path for you. And that's okay too. But, um, if this is go for it and know that there's going to be bumps along the road, but know that like a bump is not a dead end. So keep going, (laughs) maybe change your tires and just keep moving. All right. Again, that was Jessica 10 acceptances to this point. I'm assuming it'll be 11. It sounds like she, uh, she's pretty sure where she's going to go to, 
to be able to support her husband, or not really support her husband, but to allow her husband to continue working, which I know is a, a big stress for students as a, as a non-traditional student with family, or even a traditional student with family. You have the the added stress of figuring out where you want to go to school that will allow your spouse or your significant other to be happy, uh, to be able to work, whatever it may be. So congrats to Jessica on all her hard work and getting those 10 acceptances so that she could kind of craft her own future. That was awesome. I want to thank a couple people that left us a rating and review. We had... Torrance Tran says, amazing resource for all pre-meds. He uh, talks about the regret that most students have about not finding the podcast sooner. Uh, Unfortunately, they weren't looking for it, but that's okay. Uh, But he does talk about um, helping pre-meds decipher through the code that is the medical school application. So good job. Thanks for leaving that review, Torrance Tran. We have... Pam Future MD that says awesome, very down to earth discussions that share useful information for the aspiring doctor, medical student, or practicing physician seeking to better their career. Thank you for that review. Pam Future MD. And we have pre med Rachel that says, Thank you so much, Dr. Gray, for this awesome podcast. As a non trad pre med, I am very grateful for this super, super resource. So thank you for that. Oh, and she also says that I've inspired her to apply for the HPSP. So that's awesome. Thank you, Premed Rachel, and uh, good luck on the HPSP journey. All right, if you would like to leave a rating interview, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes will allow you to do that. And don't forget about medschoolinterviewbook.com. We'll have probably more than 600 questions in there. We're going to have real-life feedback from answers given by students during mock interviews with me. So you're going to see the question. You're going to see a answer from a student, a real answer from a student. And then you're going to see my feedback to that student. And in many cases, you're going to see how their answer progresses from one interview to the next to the next. Because most of the students that I'm working with during these mock interviews are working with me for four sessions. So you can see these interview these questions from one to the next. And it's not it's not like I'm asking the same questions every time, but one of the most common questions that I do ask pretty much every time is tell me about yourself because it's one of the hardest questions to nail and it's an important one because it will start off your interview on the right foot if you're asked it. So again, medschoolinterviewbook.com. Now, I always say that I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today, and I truly do. But I really do think that you get information out of these podcasts. So I just want to thank you for joining me each and every week. And I hope you join me next week again at the pre-med years and the medical school headquarters.